Hi folks, this is the recording from today's live Sunday special. Uh, if you're unaware what that is, that is where once a week we, we throw the, uh, the old Zoom open for our members and we have a breakdown of the news. We have guests in as panelists to, to go through down what's happened over the events of the week. And then when, uh, when it's all quietened off, we uh, open up and have a little bit of a chat with our supporters, members, uh, and anybody who wants to make any contributions. So um, if you want to come along to them, they are available for all our members on patreon.com forward slash tortoise and, and that's it. It's really that simple. If you throw us a couple of quid, you will get the link, the invite on your, uh, on your Sunday morning. You click on there and then pop in and you know you, you don't know who's going to be on what the topics might be but you know it, it is one of the best podcasts of the week without without doubt thanks for thanks for the support thanks for the feedback on the on the ukraine coverage particularly and thank you for the people who have been very kind about the tortoise shack live in the sugar club there's more news on that coming as well uh, thanks and enjoy the show Good afternoon and welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday special. This is uh, our breakdown of the week that was and we're not, not going to go as much into some of the stuff because uh, we've been covering obviously Ukraine across the, the week with with different contributors. So we'll, we, we may come to it. I, uh, I'm crossing my fingers. I know Hannah uh, McCarthy is in Lviv and when we last spoke, there was the first time the windows had rattled from explosions uh, it, and I think it was as far away as 20 kilometers and yet they were feeling the effects in the city. So we will cover it um, when we do. But I, I do want to start with a, with a little bit of a good news story. Um, if you've been listening to this show or, 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 or engaging with us, you'll know we were, were talking to uh, Dr. Motion Kamal. We've had uh, Dr. Ar- Ar- Arslan Shahid and, and Dr. Liga Rachmanan about their campaign to get um, something done in effect for creating a, 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 a addressing an imbalance in the in the stamp four process so we've had some you had a bit of good news this week doc can you um tell us if you don't mind uh that that everything was how how it went and, and what and what's changed uh um, thank you so much <laughs> good afternoon um so nice of you to have me today uh, in this session um really appreciate that so um very happy and uh, international doctors are so delighted and so grateful to the Ireland and to the Irish community for the support on uh, campaign uh, Fast Access STEM4. So um, this campaign, the news, the historical landmark decision uh, and the whole immigration policy that has been changed last week and uh, almost all our recommendations uh, have been accepted and implemented. And uh, this uh, historic uh, uh, change uh, will address decades old inequalities uh, that non-EU doctors uh, were facing uh, in this health system. Um, and uh, uh, you know that they, uh, they make 44% of this health system. So this, uh, this crucial change uh, will uh, address family, social and career challenges uh, for the doctors in Ireland and uh, will prove to be a uh, huge beneficial to the system and it will it will it will make them to uh, to it will allow them to make Ireland home after two years um, if, if I break down the comparison um, um, this policy this uh, new immigration policy basically fast track residency I'll say uh, for international doctors in Ireland is the one of the finest 
the world has to offer. Uh, the comparison of the countries, I will just put a little light on that, that uh, uh, the countries that attract the best talent and uh, dependent on the foreign doctors, top countries are UK and UK offers after five years residency australia offer after three years usa offer after six to ten years new zealand offer after two to four years norway offers after three years sweden offer for four years denmark four years germany four years and ireland just changed the policy and uh, it ireland offered after two years so this is a historic landmark we see and one of the world's best immigration policy for international doctors so far we we absolutely need your skills that's without a doubt we need your skills we need you here we're welcome to have you we our health service would not exist without you just simply would not exist without you so you know two years does seem like quite a short time but for a health service that wouldn't exist without you um they could cut it down even further and make it easier and just cut all the hard edges off and make it easier and and we need doctors we need so many um and if I it just, works I, it works martin can i come in and just say okay it's good news we obviously advocate in, on this podcast for for you know extending that to people in in all walks of life that we give the the opportunity mm-hmm. because it's not just to be at, at healthcare uh, levels and i know we've spoken about this said uh, doc um off air that you know it's not this is this has been your campaign but it's also something we'd like to see and anthony i don't know if you want have a comment because you you've come through this the last couple of years watching this and obviously Martin is right. It's crucial we have we have the skilled workers, but it's something that we need to have a focus on in wider society as well. It's it's crucial at two levels. One is that we've we've got a lot of really capable people who are graduates from other countries who've worked in Ireland, or graduates from Irish colleges, but who weren't born here or working here, and they haven't had access or, or fair access to training programs. So without that, you get stuck in a kind of mid-level job where you have huge skill and huge experience, but there's no opportunity to progress. There's no opportunity to train up to consultant level. And that's been a real difficulty. And it's been, I, I could point you to people who've been, you know, we, we call them non-consultant hospital doctors. In the UK, they call them junior hospital doctors. But these are people who might have 20 years experience, but have not been promoted. And their skill are just not being recognized. And understandably, if they have the option to do so, you know, many of these people will will move on, they'll go somewhere else. But also there's people who, who like, you know, people like living in Ireland, funnily enough. It may be hard for those of us who you know, remember Ireland and the rain in the summers when we were children to understand why. But Ireland's not a bad place to live. A lot of people have made their homes here. And we owe it to those people to give them the opportunity to progress as far as they're able within our systems. And we've had this artificial block getting into training for this group of very talented and able people. And we've, we're, we've taken the first steps towards removing that. So we, we've been arguing for years that we need a consultant delivered health service. We have a health service that is largely delivered by non-consultant hospital doctors, some of whom are in training positions, many of whom are not. Mm. And we, we need to move to, for a whole bunch of reasons, 
yeah. which would take us too far afield to maybe go into. I uh, know, but no, I mean, I just again, I'm trying to be a positive, put a positive on this. I'm thrilled for for yeah, the, the, the the people who are. It is a great step forward. I do want to see it. It's almost like use that phrase, extend the franchise, folks. You know, <laughs> um, we want to see it go that way. But 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 Doc, can I ask you? Um, the, the, the campaign uh, let us train let us let us yeah. move on let us set up um does all of this now makes all of those things a little easier yeah that, i uh, hope so yeah uh, sorry sorry wrong wrong one thank you no, that's fine. Thank you. I, I i i agree with you um all absolutely actually uh that that crucial step i mentioned um presidency uh address almost everything for international doctors not the family short-term contract visa problem and spouse not able to work and uh, relocations and uh, all challenges that's massive challenges so it will address those one as well to settle your family as well as the career and training challenges because time for if you hold it you deemed equal uh, to compete for a training post so it is basically a full package for an international mm-hmm. doctor now so um, that, that, that's what now it will attract uh, the best talent across globe because people go to USA, UK for training and apply directly over there. Now they will have a pathway in Ireland and they will think about it. So if they go Ireland in five years, six years, seven years, where they will be, their family and everything. So uh, it is a huge benefic- benefit to the system. So the cycle that import and export doctors from Ireland has been broken down with this campaign. And I think that's really important in that the, the oh, dare I say it, the, the class element that was attached to consultancy in Ireland has been broken. Mm-hmm. And it has been broken, but we, we absolutely needed it to be broken. I mean, it's so important that it was to deliver a first class, first world health service. It's the only way we're going to do it. So I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted for you. Delighted for you. I think it's brilliant. And I hope it brings us the best talent in the world. Thanks for coming on to, to, to join us. And you're welcome to, to hang on if you if you want, Doc. We're just going to move the, the topics on now, if you don't mind. Uh, and I do want to come to, uh, to to Professor Anthony Staines, who gets upset when I keep calling him the professor. Um, but 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 um, but but no, honestly, Anthony, we've seen COVID situation getting worse. Uh, we've seen you know, all of the mask mandates go away. We've seen, unfortunately, we've seen a high level number of deaths that are equivalent to any time almost in, in the pandemic. And now we're looking at and now we're witnessing situations whereby um, it's it seems to it seems to be other countries are taking steps that reintroducing some form of things. But we, we've I don't know if we've committed to, to not doing it. What's your sense, first of all, before I ask you the question and how we got here, what's your sense on the on things right now? I, I think things right now are starting to get worse again, unfortunately. I think, you know, we, we're seeing more and more people in hospitals. And over the next few weeks, we'd expect to see more people in intensive care and more people dying. And I think that's for really, really sad that that, you know, has happened. And the numbers definitely follow. Anthony, we have seen this time and again, people keep saying the link between case numbers and ICUs and deaths mm. has been broken, but it doesn't. It's just the ratio is bigger because of vaccines, but the numbers always 
follow. Um, should we be playing this brinkmanship with ICU? Should we be saying, oh, we can take 200 in ICU? Or should we be saying that the only number that actually counts is deaths? And that's what we should be looking at. And if we look at that, we're in a very bad position. We're in a very bad position either way. But being in ICU is has huge costs. It's really expensive, first of all. And the, the consequences to people who are themselves in ICU is very, very hard. You know, it, it takes months to recover from a stay in ICU. And that's just even with the best of care. That's, that's the truth of it for many people. You know, it's, it's slightly different if you're going to ICU for 48 hours after major surgery, as, as some people do. But if you're in ICU because you're medically ill, as, as is the case with COVID, it, it's a very, very hard road out of that. And the cost is very substantial. Uh, we're, we're getting a clearer picture of the long-term effects of this disease. And, you know, sometimes when you study, when you start with a new disease and you start studying it, at first it can look very, very black and very bleak because you tend to see the worst end of it. The problem with long-term effects of COVID is as we study it more and more and more, we find out more and more and more about it and it gets less and less and less reassuring. There's a really fantastic UK study has come out uh, from the ONS and they've looked at neurological damage, you know, brain injury, essentially, lung injury, heart injury after, after COVID. And it's, it's doubled or tripled the rate in the general population. Now, the rate in the general population isn't that high. So, you know, double or triple is not the end of the world, but it's, it's not good. No, it's not good at all, particularly if everyone's getting it. Even if even like and, and that is it, though, it does, does seem to be everyone is getting it. We, before we came on air, I know we were in touch earlier and you were talking about why why COVID got here, got happened. And, and um, you know, the, the larger drivers of, of, of pandemics and we see it more and more now because the world is in chaos. There's people on the move again. There's two million people have fled Ukraine. We see, you know, hunger and starvation, killing people, literally killing people in Afghanistan. We see things happening in Yemen and uh, and, I, and I do I do want to mention, obviously, uh, I do before we move on. Uh, 81, 81 people being uh, executed in Saudi Arabia yesterday. Um, and to our shame, we continue to, to turn away and we've, you know, we, we don't hear the outcry and we, we mm. try to foster trade links there. But Anthony, I, I put it to you that the, the, the ingredients for pandemics is probably higher now than it was uh, when, when we started the first one a couple of years ago. I mean, over the last 20 or 30 years, there have been a whole series of emerging infectious diseases. And, you know, no one really could, no, no one kind of sat down and tried to put it together, but it's, it, it's been now has been done. So we have something like Zika. Zika is a virus which was causing relatively small scale problems in parts of rural Africa, you know, probably since the dawn of history. We don't know, but for a very long time. HIV was a virus which was doing the same thing. And HIV has been identified in Uganda in the 40s and the 50s. And it was there, it was causing problems, but not, not 
huge problems, not epidemic problems. Ebola was uh, Ebola was in and out of the far, of the forests in you know, parts of West Africa, but the, and there were occasional outbreaks, but there was no large scale sustained outbreaks. And it's a very nasty, it's particularly nasty virus. There's a, a virus which is spread by mosquitoes and infects humans and birds and cause, causes encephalitis, which spread up from South America and is now a regular feature of life in New York. And what all of these things have in common is not particularly movement of people. All of these things have in common is damage to the ecosystems that these viruses grew up in. And that damage is largely done by farming. So we, we have a process of farming, which is, you know, basically strip mining the Amazon, for example, building uh, monocultures of palm oil over large parts of Indonesia. And this messes up the ecosystem in all sorts of ways that are really unpredictable. And it brings humans and animals into contact in different ways, in new ways. You know, how, how did a, a bat virus get to a market in Wuhan? These bats live on the Vietnam-Chinese border region. Wuhan is a long, long way from there. And it probably came through trade and probably came through trade in animal meat, which is why it started in the meat market in Wuhan. But why did that happen? What has changed? And what's changed is the pressure on the ecosystems. And you, we see it in uh, all sorts of ways. One of the reasons for the war in Syria, not by any means the only reason, but one of the reasons was climate change. One of the drivers of political instability across parts of North Africa is climate change. That was that that particular point was recognized mm -hmm. by President Macron this week yeah. in relation to global supply chains. And he said that uh, for the future for France is sustainability for its own people to be able to feed its own people mm. first mm. and then exports after that. But to have a proper wide range of foods available so that they could feed their own people first. Now, whilst I completely agree, and I think from, from field to fork, and it's great to know where your food is coming from, I also feel that there's a danger of an element of nationalism creeping into that as well, but that in the long term, that's what we should be doing. We, it should be grow everything you need for yourself first and then export your excess instead of this everything dependent on big supply chains. Well, well Anthony, you mentioned monocultures in in. Um, in soya or whether it's palm oil, we have monocultures here in, in much of how we farm and, and we boast about, you know, again, I mean, I got the, the quotes from 2013 and 2014 about Ireland by 2020 being able to feed 50 million people. Yet we, we're actually saying, well, we're actually food insecure because because we're importing more calories to feed feed protein to um, cattle for to to export then so you know there's 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 a there's a loop here and 
Mike Ryan made made the point that you've made in the WHO about the fact that we're going to force these um, people into contact with with other uh, ecological uh, aspects of it, and we will end up yeah reaping what we sow, unfortunately, yeah. and not in a and not in a sustainable uh, fork to uh, plate. As field said, Martin said, field to fork. You know, um, I, I I would. Uh, Dr. Rackman, if you could come on for a second, I wouldn't mind asking you just before we move off COVID on on COVID in the hospitals now and, and the situation that, that you've been you've been actually engaging with with your colleagues. How how are things now, even though it seems the the, the world has moved on? I'm sure it's not everybody hasn't moved on in uh, in in uh, the health service. Um yeah, thank you. Um again. Uh very challenging situation in different perspectives. First of all, um, I say that it is a devaluing of all the safety measures. So there should be there should have been a better way uh, to encourage public to um, to practice those precautions or safety measures. If if you really think that you have economical or some other problems and your uh, political moves to move on. But you shouldn't devalue those safety measures. So I'd say this this is one of the biggest uh, problem that we are facing at the moment in hospitals. Hospitalization hospitalization has certainly increased so far, but the challenge for uh, medical professional is the staff shortage, and that challenge has been there throughout the pandemic. And this winter, it escalated, and uh, now uh, we we were not able to solve this problem until. Uh, they lifted the restrictions back again, and um, this is very. Uh, it is very challenging at the moment in hospitals regarding the medical staffing and the shortage, and we are not able to secure any locums to uh, to uh, to fill that gap. So, and it is ultimately leading to burnout and emotional exhaustion of the remaining staff. So, uh, apart from this um, acute, um, uh, you know that uh, hospitalization. Uh, the doctors and the medical professionals, they are also sick at the minute with this lifting restrictions. Mm. So, so again, we, we were, I've, I've seen a case recently where uh, someone who was in the medical, that's not anecdotal, it's someone I know who, who works in, in the frontline healthcare system and has now got con- contracted COVID for the second time uh, and has had, you know, um, three, three vaccines and was scheduled for a fourth. So we are seeing this, uh, that it is, it is definitely causing strain. And I think we've passed, Martin, I'm right in saying we've passed the record now for a number of people on wait- hospital waiting lists, um, yeah. the highest in the, in the history yeah. of the state. Well, well, listen to, to listen to uh, Liquid there, and I and I do think that you know the battle is raging on some fronts, but for a lot of people, the battle appears to be over, and that seems to be uh, resonating quite a lot uh, around the world at the moment. But right across Europe, the, it's upticked right across Europe, everywhere across Europe, and um, you know. All the old arguments will be bet again. It's not seasonal. You know, seasonal has an element in that people move indoors. That's the only thing seasonal about it. Can you have an outbreak during the summer? Well, it certainly looks like you can. So, um, you know, I just think we moved too fast. Masks, at the very least, uh, would slow the pace. But again, you need the full suite of measures, as, as Anthony has told us so many times. Um, you need to follow the full suite of measures. Um, I'm going to move us on 
Tony, and I'm going to ask you about what's happening in the US at the present moment in time. Oh, no, in- it's, it's can I, yeah, I, I, sorry, I want to come in on the, on, on, first of all, we'll go back to Anthony and get a, 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 a bit of a summary on, on COVID, but I do want to touch on something. I know you're Martin, you want, what, what you want to ask me, but I, I want to go back to nearly a year ago on this podcast, this very Sunday show where I spoke about, I think it was 113 pieces of legislation winding their way through various US Senates that were seen to be anti-LGBT. Um, and some of them were, were you know, very much um, it, making things difficult. And what's happening uh, right now is some of them have made their way to, to individual states and some of them are getting enforced and you're sitting, seeing situations where Children who who are curious about their gender or expressing different things. Teachers have been told they must report. They must report on them. They must, you know, um, they, 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 this stuff must be put together. And all of these things that have shown to make life more problematic for, for, for young children are now becoming law in, and, and people can actually be, be punished if they don't adhere to them. These are anti-trans. These are anti-gender um, critical uh, of people trying to, I mean, they're, they're, they're kids just doing their best. And a lot of it concerns me. And we knew it was coming. Uh, we knew this was happening, but it, it, we're just sort of sleepwalking into it and, and, and allowing it to happen. We keep saying that, oh, we don't have this problem here in Ireland, but we're, some people are hell bent to import it here that there's, you know, they want to get it. Uh, you can't, you only have to look at it and people keep, oh, culture wars and a load of nonsense. Let's get it in. But in the US, it's particularly scary. And another one as well that happened this week was uh, in Texas, I believe, and someone might correct me, an ectopic pregnancy, you couldn't, you're no longer allowed, um, you know, the full suite of, of reproductive choices to to protect your reproductive health down the line. They're, they've, they're introducing all these barriers. We've seen it with the one where, you know, an Uber driver could be fu- can be fined 10 grand for driving you to a, a clinic that, that issues abor- abortion services. Like, it's, it's insane that we're going down this in 2022. Things are things things are getting much worse in, in some of this, and we're not immune because we still have to we still have to work on. And I know there's been working the doll on the 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 review, the repeal review, and the teams and how we work towards safe inspection zones, exclusion zones. Excuse me, but there's so much more, Martin, that that's going on. And this this battle is not is not gone away because there's clearly a lot of uh, influential. I'm going to say small C conservative men who uh, are, are are pushing this agenda continuously, and it's we'll, it's, it's we'll very probably, concerning. We'll probably come to it later in the Iranian missiles last night. But you know, I am I, the longer I look at America, the more I see just a religious fundamentalist state, oh, no. and I see that's what it has descended into. Oh God, Tony, a president can stand up and and, and hold a Bible. I mean, that wouldn't go down here. No, you wouldn't, I, get a, you wouldn't get. There's no, not but, much of Europe you'd get away with that. Don't, in, I don't. But, I, I don't care about that. What I care about is 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 Joe Biden withholding billions of dollars of Af- Afghani money and aid where people are starving. I care more about that. I think that's criminal. That should be called out for what it is. That's that's people experiencing food insecurity, starving, and he's saying, "Well, we're actually keeping the money back to pay compensation to the victims of 9/11." Afghanistan has nothing to do with 9/11. It was perpetrated. Oh, I know. It, I it know. was perpetrated by Saudi Arabian people 
predominantly, and they executed 81 people yesterday. And we're and you mentioned Iran, and I'll tell you what's happening with Iran is is there's a huge the with the with the oil insecurity, oil and gas can't buy it. The Americans are now looking to go back into the Iran deal so they can start buying Iranian oil and, and gas. And and that's what's happening. And Iran is is Iran did shoot. Uh, did they've they have said the Iranian guard have said they were firing on Israeli um forces in iraq uh so i don't know like, and then again I, there's reports of missiles hit for israeli missiles hitting damascus uh earlier but, in the week but, so but my point is that that america i'm not saying it was ever it was stable for quite a long time it was a stable country but it's an unstable country i mean they almost had an insurrection they almost did no they did have an insurrection it just failed yeah 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 but you know it's it's a flaky enough country now and a lot of the flakiness is born out of religious fundamentalism i'd say that's just that's just cover to people's own personal greed you know yeah Um, well you could say the same about iran iraq you could say the same but really and truly what it is is that's the anvil that all of this has been battered out upon in america and it is religious fundamentalism and i think it's seriously scary watching that dissent in america i mean i don't know if you can say anthony i don't know if you have a point on this but i I don't know how you could say america's uh, like trump was hardly a bastion of the um of uh of of a god-fearing man you know yeah i think that's an important point there's a difference between religious faith which is important to the majority of the people on the planet in various different ways including the majority of the people here but like anything else you you can use religious faith just as you can use patriotism just as you can use a sense of national pride none of which are bad things in themselves there's nothing wrong with being somewhat proud of ireland as a country there's nothing wrong with patriotic feelings but you can use them if you're sufficiently unscrupulous. And people do this all the time. And we're seeing this in the United States where there is a really unholy alliance between elements of Christian fundamentalism, the, the billionaire class, and the, much of the Republican Party, who figured out a message that resonates with a substantial proportion of their voters. And they dress it up differently depending on which segment of their voters they're talking to. And they're really good. I mean, you, Facebook is a tool designed specifically to reach out to segments of voters and be invisible to other segments of voters. So it works really well. You look at Iran. Uh, Iran is a theocracy, but actually Iran is in some respects, a very authoritarian kleptocracy where the Republican Guard owns everything. They own the majority of the businesses. They have a great deal of political power and they have a lot of the guns. So a great deal of the power lies outside the formal, you know, the president, the prime minister, the parliament. But Iran is nowhere near the kind of you know, Shia monoculture that is, is occasionally presented as. Mm. So p- people's lives are more complicated than the lives of their countries. In Russia, a substantial proportion of Russians don't agree with what Putin is doing. And we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people arrested 
we've seen a paramilitary police force running around the place, uh, scooping up grannies off the street. There's one woman who survived the siege of Stalingrad as a girl, was arrested on video the other day by the, uh, I, I, might, I don't read Cyrillic, so I don't know what they're called, but it looks like Omar. Mm. Um, and they're, they're apparently a Russian paramilitary police group. We see the same thing in the United States. You know, they have a system which is, it encourages political polarization because most of their voting is first past the post, winner takes all. And they don't have any good, particularly good rules on who gets to vote or how you organize voting. And they so do. They have great. They have great. They have great laws. If you want to gerrymander a vote, you know, yeah. and like if it, and and that is voter suppression. And we're yeah. not. We're yeah. not. Yeah. We're not immune from it here. I mean, I I I used to be in um, Pascal Donahue's area, uh, and then mm. and then they moved the line because he needed more of Drumcondra uh, mm. because Mary Lou was eating up his vote in Cabra, you know. And they mm. moved. They moved that line, and and mm. we we do do it. But I do think I I do want to I do want to go back to what you said on Iran is interesting. Again, we we spoke with the Seamus Malkzali on this. Several times, who's who's a Iranian American with 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 a with with, a, with an Irish mammy and and and, a, and, and like literally Seamus with a father. So mm-hmm. um, there are much more diverse people. Uh, but but absolutely, he, he he was telling me this morning that you know the the. The, the, this is this is still part this trade negotiations going on there whether everybody wants to say iran is you know outside the tent they are very much back at the table because mm-hmm. this, this is where the, this is where martin referred to the global supply chain and uh, they will do business but again it, it, you know it, it does it does strike me that you see yeah i think it's today is it chelsea you're playing newcastle so you have roman abramovich's team against the saudi arabian um regime yeah. I, mean, I mean it's it's a strange world we live in now can i ask you one thing though just because i never got to ask at the end of covid did you do you think now and i'm not trying to get you to say yes we need to go back to do this or we need to go back to do that we, we decided to throw it all to personal responsibility yeah are we gonna have to start moving into some form of guidance there's an American virologist made a very sensible suggestion a few about two weeks ago, and he said, "This is an airborne virus. It's one of the most infectious. The current version is one of the most infectious viruses we've ever seen. It's incredibly infectious. So we can't we can't really stop it. But what we can do is we can we can substantially spread it out." and we can reduce risks. And we do it the same way we deal with water. You know, we, we have a huge water cleaning infrastructure that costs millions, hundreds of millions to set up. We get clean water out of it. We need to do something similar with air. And just to give you an example, um, Taiwan have installed HEPA filters on their buses. But these are yokes. I mean, they're they're about the size of a seat. And they hum away on the bus and they don't provide 100% protection. No, no you, you, nothing provides 100% protection. You could go out and live in Schenigvihil and look at the gannets. That's probably safe enough. But other than that, uh, um, th- there's no 100% protection. But if you were, if you do this sort of stuff, if you concentrate on cleaning air, wearing high efficiency masks, you can reduce your risk substantially. 
And is it worth doing? Yeah, it probably is, because these are things that that allow you to get on with your day-to-day life. But it's not that we don't do this in other areas. We do yeah. it with road traffic accidents all yeah. the time. There yeah. is a constant commitment to reach zero, a yeah. constant commitment. And I know from health and safety in workplaces that you commit to zero. That's what you commit to. Yeah. And you're constantly working towards it, yeah. constantly. That's, you know, that's health and safety right across every spectrum. Mm. So that's where we go. Well, no, it makes it makes total sense. Can I ask both of you though? Um, I see some of the lads are off jet setting now. I know Eamon Ryan said, "What was it? Drive slowly." And I'm hoping yeah. he's asking. I'm hoping he's asking his um his pilot to drive slowly to New York for his uh, Paddy's Day. Uh, oh, really, John. really fucking um, slowly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I I know the Tarnish is off to Chile, and I, I believe Simon Coveney. Uh, if you, if the rumors are to be believed, Simon Coveney's been told to stay home uh, as some form of punishment for his uh, his champagne parties. But I don't know. I digress. Are are you going anywhere nice, Martin? Are you planning a big um Paddy's Day uh, junket? Yeah, you know. Tony, no, I'm not. And and as as everything upticks, I keep my mask on. I avoid crowds. I'm not going to be going into a pub. Where, you know, I can't afford to put myself in the line of fire. Simple as that, Tony. Can't yeah. afford to. I'm, I'm, see, I'm talking to two old curmudgeons here. I know you're going to be staying put as well, aren't you, Anthony? No, I am going to Balancolic. Oh, you're going down to Cork? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going okay. to visit friends in Balancolic. Oh no, I, I, like I, it's um, it's 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 a risky business going down there if you don't, with, with the wrong accent, you know. Um, but, well, they're they're from from Kerry and Cambridge, respectively. So yeah, that's <laughs> some protective coloration. You'll, yeah. you'll 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 be joining a you'll be joining a rowing team before we know it. <laughs> uh, that's, um, no, I just I do think it's interesting. I know people are going on about the cost of living crisis still. There's been a cost of living crisis yeah. for many years, but I do think you know some of the stuff that happened this week was very much. Uh, you know, the, there was an out of touch uh, piece about it, Martin, and I know. Oh, well, you know, it's it's a couple of uh, what a couple of months ago, Fine Gael committed to having tax cuts yeah. for, mm-hmm. and then this week, um, um, Pascal Dunn, who came out and said that we're going to have to tax the the those who are low paid more, and I'm saying, well, what you know, it's just this constant take from one side, give to the other side. We're told that we don't have the money to mitigate to mitigate as much, we'll say, as we did with COVID against um, the cost of living increase. But, you know, is that not what we elect a government for, to, to, to insulate us against the worst of shocks that come this way? Mm-hmm. And if they can't do that, then what are they doing? Um, I'd say, well, look, I was very clear on it the other day when I said, why don't they just index link um, social transfers to the cost yeah. to, to, to the consumer price index? And all of a sudden you would that would be a lot better than having a rail over 15 cent off a liter of petrol. Like it, it would and it would change, yeah. change things for hundreds of house or thousands of households as opposed to, you know, just just people who and that's that's not to belittle people paying more for petrol. I get it. But if you index link all of these all of these social transfers mm-hmm. and you and Anthony, I know you know this. Um Leo Varadkar signed a European directive to say that Ireland wasn't going to move towards the, the living wage, but there is a plan on the shelf to say we could start moving towards yeah. it. They could take that down tomorrow and start and start working and start implementing it. And that's likely to be much more effective. I mean, yeah. One of our challenges in Ireland is that we have a lot of people on low paid jobs. So if you, you know, there's, there's a public sector pay round coming up. 
So I, do, I don't think people at my salary scale should get a sniff of a pay increase. I don't think we should even be contemplating pay increases. I didn't think our, our pay cuts should have been restored. But at the very least, you know, get rid of some of the bottoms on the pay scales and raise the salaries of people down the pay scales, raise the minimum wage. All of this we can do without ending the world. If we brought in a, a, a functioning property tax, and you know, a functioning property tax would, would hit people like me because I own a house and I'm sitting in it looking at you. But I, I think I, I, when I was in the UK in 1992, I was paying more in poll tax than I'm in cash terms than I'm paying in, never mind real terms, than I'm paying in property tax now. And that's, that's slightly mad. But you know? you, I, I, and I think I can, I can truly say this. Ireland is all about the differential. Yeah. And it is the differential, and it's in every single sector. It's the difference between what a consultant gets paid and a portic gets paid. They want to keep that gap. Everybody wants, and if you go into law, they want to keep that gap. You go into science, they want to keep that gap. We've spoken to, to people from Portugal where they have a socialist government. And what they say is that we're not trying to stop you from being rich. We're just trying to set a level yeah. on what poverty is. Yeah. You know, we're trying to raise that level, but that doesn't stop you. But in Ireland, it's the differential. It's about the wedge between yeah. the rich and the poor, and they don't want to give it up. So if a poor guy gets one quid extra, the guy on a hundred thousand has to get, you know, generally quid extra. generally he gets four generally it's a four to one thing when you break it down in the tax system yeah, how it works yeah. at, at the at the high end so it's about four to one ratio sometimes as high as eight to one when in some of the it's budgets um tuppence halfpenny looking down on tuppence i been uh, that way ever as long as i can remember and unless there's radical change and and i was i'm very pleased with what's happened with the doctors in, in, yeah. in because that shows that we can What's happening with the refugees now coming from Ukraine shows that we can. Yeah. And what happened during COVID when they put in some protections for people, which actually lifted people out of poverty, shows we can. And what's really amazing me most is that we've shown in a very short space of time, we have solutions to the problems. Yeah. And then what do we do immediately? Run away from them. But to make the solutions permanent, We've got to start, we, we've got to bring in tax in different ways. And, you know, VAT is a, a tax that bears equally on you, no matter how much money or how little money you have. So it hurts poorer people more. Income tax is the other way around. Income tax is hugely redistributive. But wealth tax, we're not doing. We haven't we haven't got a wealth tax and we don't have an effective property tax either, no, by the way. No. And not only do we not have an effective one, I mean, we've been talking about it as 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 something that has required reform since the second year it was it, it came out. And that's ridiculous. It's no, it's not good enough. Um and, and it should be, you know, we should be looking at other assets as well. It should be looking at whether you want to call it a net wealth tax, whether you want to call it a you know, there's 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 and these things. Don't tell me, you know, you can't change these things. It has to be done a lot faster. Um, a conscious, a conscious of time and, and let people get on with their day. But um, 
the 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 one thing I'd say that in, over the next few days, folks, is keep it. I know we're all, we're going to continue to cover Ukraine. Um, some interesting things have happened in in the European Parliament over the last few days. Um, I know Maria Mezentseva, who who's been on this pod a few times. I don't know if you saw the speech she addressed the European Parliament mm. and um, made quite a powerful and passionate speech. I I I don't again. I feel like I'm I'm going to get myself in trouble every time I comment on it. But it, it does seem that every every time we say a Rubicon, oh, they can't do this. It, it, the Rubicons are getting crossed every every few hours. Yesterday, Lviv was um, was was safe, uh, and now today, you know, there's, there's fighting on the outskirts. That's Western Ukraine. That's what is it, thirty miles to the to the Polish border? Mm-hmm. That's engagement with NATO, and that is very very scary in terms of uh, the 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 impact it could have. I, I, part, part, that's I, we'll continue to cover it. We'll, we'll look. We'll look for that. And I do. Oh, and uh, Oshie made a really good point in the comments about the health safety guys, and he said um, that people are saying it's very hard to harmonise workplace health and safety uh, across the EU because many governments give different advice and how to how to the uh, best place for for COVID in the workplace. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that is fair. I think that's fair that we we get um, you, you know the. the, the Different things to different people. Martin, you got any yeah. Point? There was there was uh, something that came out there on Friday from the DPC's office, and uh, it was a report. And there are a lot of truths in that report. Um, they're looking to change the funding model. Um, and look, it's it's worth thinking about. Um, when you think the Comreg reg model is that they get they get subsidized by the industry that they regulate. There's a levy on the industry of 2%. Now, if the Data Protection Commissioner worked off the same basis, well, then you're looking at, you know, Google would be 90 million alone. Um, you know, Apple would be massively. Imagine, imagine the budget they'd have. Absolutely. And okay, so here's the, here's the, the argument that's been played out. The Data Protection Commissioner's office is ineffective. It's ineffective because it doesn't have the money to have the expertise to change and, that. And, and let's remember, it was the only budget that the government cut at, at, at the last one because they'd asked for an increase and they got less money than the year before uh, because the people were unhappy with the ruling on the public services card. And I'm saying that, uh, even if uh, we can't prove it, I'm saying the, the, the correlation in timing was very, very suspicious. Yeah, we'll see more of that in, in coming weeks, Tony. Yeah, we'll we see more of that in coming weeks. But what I'm saying is there's two sides to this. First of all, it's ineffective. Now, you've got to make it effective. Somehow you've got to make it effective. Is is money the solution? Um, But there's more to it than money because the Data Protection Commissioner doesn't actively seek to catch anybody. There's the problem. And it should be actively seeking to catch people. I mean, if you're going up against these global giants, you kind of need a global giant budget to take them down. Okay, the Comreg one, I think, is a good example of how it can be done. But it's all about our government ever going to take it seriously. But no, I don't think so. They hate FOI and they hate GDPR and they will do everything they can to frustrate it every step of the oh, way. They, they love FOI as well, like, you know. Um, just uh, <laughs> so I noticed uh, Sinn Féin deleted all their uh, old statements. Uh, I see a story in the Sunday papers. That'll be interesting to see if there's anybody has a cash on that and what was actually deleted. I'd, I'd, uh, I, I, I'd, I haven't read enough of it, but I do find it interesting. Um, you know, someone referred to it as preparing for government and then someone else made, point, made the point. I saw another political commentator saying Labour deleted all of theirs, but that was because they had the, it was the stuff that said um, Frankfurt's way or Labour's way so they had to pull that as well look we'll leave it there folks and um, thanks for listening uh, and we will be back back tomorrow uh, with uh, more coverage on Ukraine really appreciate it talk to you soon
Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.